רקורדינג. רקורדינג. הלו, הלו. היי צי. הלו. היי צי זאמן. היי אביבדי, היי יערה קידר. היי. זה ניו בקגראונד. How are you, יערה? We didn't see you for a while. Yes, thank you. I am well, so I moved to a new apartment, ah. a bigger one to allow me to have an office. That's nice. You see right behind me. Nice. Yara uh, left us in New York. She came, she came back to Israel, and she's so successful in Israel that she's not coming back to New York. <laughs> the queen of fashion of Israel. She's uh, uh, curating show after show. Everybody comes to listen to her. So the only way to... because we miss her, is to bring her back to the show, because she's too far away all the time. Right. <laughs> What's going on, Yara? What are you doing? Let's uh, do something in New York. <laughs> I miss New York so much. Yeah, I, so I, I, li- I lived in New York for eight years, and we came back in um, 2019. Oh, uh, just before December, the corona, I think. December 30th. Yeah. So that's exactly three yeah, years that's... ago. Yeah. yeah. Right before the pandemic, you remember we just yeah. um we we still had an exhibition on in your gallery, right? Uh, right. yeah. And, yeah, so the world turned upside down um shortly after that. so we we were lucky to be close to our family when everything happened. Um, and since then, I curated in Israel two major, major. exhibitions. Yeah. <laughs> Which is I, I, I feel so in fortunate. In a design museum in Cholon, uh, in a building that yes. Ronara designed. Oh. Yeah, it's yeah, an incredible building. What was the exhibitions? So the first, exhi- my first exhibition in the museum uh, was actually in 2017. It was about Ronit El-Kabetz, wow. yeah. Israeli actress, right. um, film star, director. Right. אההההההההההההההההההההההההההההההההההההההההההההההההההההההההההההההההההההההההההההההההההההההההההההההההההההההההההההההההההההההההההההההההההההההההההההההההההההההההההההההההההההההההההההההההההההההההההההההההההההה
Where? Uh, uh, and the Metropolitan, maybe? No. Oh, where was it that I saw? No, Alexander McQueen was in the Met. Yeah. Well, now, the fashion, there is a fashion exhibition permanent. Where? No, they have at the bottom of the museum at the Met, they have a department of costumes. And right. they always have beautiful... Yeah, but uh, something with the space, for me, didn't, didn't allow me to fly. The uh, space no. of the basement is uh, where traditionally fashion exhibitions were exhibited at the Met. Yeah. Um, it is a, a challenging space. I, I agree. I think it's yes. also it's also telling about you know what fashion meant within the museum, right. right? And this is the gallery that they were given. But um, the the more fashion exhibitions gained interest, um, they started migrating to you know the major halls and galleries like Alexander McQueen, like if you remember Heavenly Bodies. Sure. Um, the fashion and and the Catholic, the um, yes, yeah, yeah, imagination and and it it took over the main the main hall of of the museum and also the cloister. So right, um, things are different now. So I was fortunate, I think, to be at the turning point, and after that exhibition of Ronit El Kabet, Maya Dvash, the chief curator, reached out to me and said, okay. Let's let's do. do let's do another major fashion exhibition. What do you have in mind? And it was 2018, and I wanted to talk about fashion and escapism because you know fashion allows you to you know escape reality, to sure. be in a fantasy, to be whatever you want. Um, and it was funny because in the beginning, um, it wasn't well received the idea because they said. I, we don't think everyone is familiar with the word escapism. <laughs> and... Israel, Israel, the definition is a little bit different, you know. <laughs> yeah, and it was exactly, and 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 they were like, okay, who will who would understand what it's about? And you know, fast forward to 2020, <laughs> when I was in the midst of working on the exhibition, I was working. I was worried that people are using the word escapism so much that, you know, it might not be relevant by the time we open the exhibition. Um, but it was wonderful. It opened in July, 2021, um, exactly when museums opened. Um, and it was a it huge was, exhibition. Yeah, it was all about- What was, what was the main uh, through line of this uh, exhibition? I, I wanted to talk about ball gowns and to know if uh to kind of look at fashion um and how it enables people to live in a fantasy to escape reality and what it means for their daily lives and i think especially in israel um we the three of us know that israelis know how to celebrate and how to have parties and weddings and the sometimes the entire night becomes into this fantasy um you know historically ball gowns uh you know balls in general were only for the elite for the aristocracy and by the way uh, yara is a fashion historian as well and uh, she covered the whole history of right. the ball in the in one yes yeah, so, so the the thing is that through fairy tales balls opened for everyone because everyone is oh you know welcome to dream 
dreams are for everyone. And so everyone became a part of the ball fantasy. And what's interesting to see in Israel is that you have this bustling scene of ball gown designers, um, whether it's for weddings or bat mitzvahs or um, even like graduation balls. And it's not just in Tel Aviv, it's all over Israel. I traveled to um, Haifa and Shfaram and Jerusalem and Bnei Brak, and it's everywhere. Um, and it's really couture gowns. It's done um, in international levels um, in the haute couture spirit of uh, Paris. Um, so this was the idea of the exhibition to show how it was relevant historically. We had uh, historical recreations of ball gowns um, famous ball gowns in history, and then contemporary. So where where, where they get inspiration designers. from? Where they get inspiration from? So that's the interesting thing that um, although uh, we are here in the Middle East, <laughs> we see how Israeli designers are drawing inspiration from Victorian era. You know, puffy sleeves, Marie Antoinette corsets, crinolines. It was a completely different, you know. Um, realm that they're looking at that has, you know, at first glance, you're like, okay, this has nothing to do with us. Uh, but if you think about it, it's like the perfect escapism. It's um, thinking about fairy tales and Disney and, you know, being in a completely different reality. Um, and I think it's a part of, I mean, to me, at the end of the process, what I realized is that it's a survival thing that yeah. this is what it's it's every day's rescue from you know where we live in but you know israel is a combination between uh being part of the world because the israelis are all over the place and uh, they travel they google they know exactly what's going on and on the other hand it mixes with something that is on the side from the world because we are like on the side not in the in the middle of the whole thing and we were able not to touch these things and it was weird when people try to and now they combine it between you know the east and the west and the, so the question um, how mesquite is really influencing mesquite which is an israeli uh, fashion that Dayan, the wife of well she's by herself figure not by him. But but she actually, you know, uh, develop it. You know, the mesquite. This is a line of fashion, very distinguished, very specific. Mesquite is a very unusual story because Ruth really created something that would uh, present Israel, and they were very loyal to the atmosphere of the Middle East. And only today, uh, in the new version of uh, uh, Sharon, um, they really took it to the next level. They're still loyal to Mesquite the original way. But the question if the younger and... generation even knows or relate to, or the younger generation, even 50 and below, I would say, not so young, 50, but still, where they are looking for. So are they really open to the world fashion? Of like, uh, you know, Versace and uh, what is his name, Ford and... <laughs> She is not connected to anything. So she, <laughs> everybody is But I connected. look at all the fashions, you know, I do look. But uh, the point is that I don't know how many years uh, the popular stores, you know, actually imitating the, you know, the red carpet 
dresses mm -hmm. and the designers' dresses, and now everybody can afford buying a dress for even hundred dollars or less. Mm -hmm. Which is an economical solution, so everybody can be part. Yes, of it, so, so everybody, as you said, can be actually what you call escapism. So not only yeah. express their identity, but also you know part, of, part of the yeah, scene. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, let's go to Albert Ilus. Uh, Elbaz. Elbaz, sorry. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> the current uh, show. Uh, yeah. late oh, it's now? El yes. Good. And um, um, he passed away a year he ago. He was a character, wow. A year ago in Paris. Yeah. He, he was, was incredible. incredible. By the way, when you did Ronit El Kabetz, she was very close with him and uh, yes. she inspired him a lot. So she wore his dresses that were made especially for her. So mm -hmm. this was, she basically brought a whole different uh, air. It's true. It's, uh, and the Design Museum are keeping her fashion collection. And I, I think 80% of her collection is designed by Albert Elbaz, including her bridal gown and like wow. all her highlight moments. Albert Elbaz was a genius. He uh, was born in Casablanca and grew up in Cholon, um, a seven mi 17 minute walk from the museum actually. And- Cholon is a town that is uh, like south of Tel Aviv. And it used to be really mainly immigrants. Now mm -hmm. because yes. Tel Aviv is so expensive, many young people <laughs> move to- Back then, but everyone, especially in his neighborhood, everyone were were immigrants. Um, you know, he said uh, we didn't have much, but you know, no one had really anything. Um, but we had a lot of dreams. So this was what kept him going. He started sketching uh, um, as early as six years old. Wow. He was, uh, mm -hmm. yeah, making fashion illustrations, uh, making nicer garments and uniforms for police officers and nurses and doctors, um, all female. And he he had this he he had this touch, I don't know, like magic touch for fashion. And he knew that this is the direction he'll follow. And then um graduated from Shankar in fashion design. And then right after Shankar moved to New York. I think uh, you where with Jeffrey B, no? Exactly. Who's yeah. And we Amazing. had his photo in our exhibition, Silly. We found a photo in the collection that I was mean, it was it, it was in our gallery, right? Yeah. In yeah. our building. I think today Jeffrey Bean is not a very familiar name, but in the 80s and 1990s, he was Perfect. the superstar. I think really. you, you would recognize few images of his work, but you, you wouldn't know that it's him. Okay, that's yeah. fine. Yeah. yeah. Was so he worked with him for seven years. Yeah. It's not really related. I just don't know why I'm asking it even. But when he started to design at age, as you say, very early age, people was, were not laughing and defining him as, let's say, gay. It's interesting. He's talking about it that, you know, he had every reason to be bullied because he was a, uh, a boy who was different he says okay, that, you know, he was he was chubby he was you know drawing women um but he was surrounded with love of his family of his sisters of his mother they supported him so well and he was also a really good student wow. and he also he was really charismatic people loved him 
So he said that he actually got away with it. He was never bullied, never, you know, he was doing his thing, but he, I think he knew how to negotiate his way in the world. And I think that it's very telling about how his life evolved. And also um, eventually after he passed away, he passed away in um, April, 2021 um, from coronavirus. And after, yeah, after, uh, it's it's uh, right before his 60th birthday. And after he passed away, the greatest designers in the world created homage for Albert Elbaz. They each created an ensemble that was shown in a fashion show in Paris in October 2021, um, initiated by his partner, Alex Kuh. And... You know, they they designed the, their ensembles um, specifically for the show. They each sent their sketch, um, a love letter to Albert explaining their homage. It was all about love. The title was Love Brings Love, which was Albert Elbaz's mother mantra. She kept telling him that um, throughout his life that love brings love. And... I think that's an, another thing that shows um, and, and relates exactly to your question that he was so good with people and he was a people's person and he was so beloved and so led by his values um, that the homage is really telling, you know, no one, no designer ever had such homage created in fashion's history. Like and all these homage garments. Hmm? Are you have part of the homage? Showing. Part of the homage yeah. is now in the exhibition. The entire homage oh, is okay, in the okay. exhibition. Everything traveled from Paris to Cologne, um, and it's in the main gallery in the exhibition today. I will make sure to go. You know, can I go back to your dissertation yeah. since you are doing now your PhD, and yeah. tell a little bit what you are doing, uh, your dissertation, your PhD on? Of course. Um, so I'm working on my PhD at the Hebrew University in um, cultural studies. My advisor is Carola Hilfrich, who is Dr. Carola Hilfrich, who is amazing. Um, and my dissertation focuses on Salome, um, the biblical character that uh, migrated into art history and then became Oscar Wilde's play, Strauss's opera, um of of you know a central um protagonist in films hollywood films silent era and when i started working on my project it actually started when i was a student at nyu i was researching uh, a painting of salome at the metropolitan museum it's one of the greatest paintings in the world by henri renew from 1870 and I realized that there's so much literature on Salome and academic research and scholarship. It's endless from very, very, you know, very um, diverse angles, but not from the fashion angle. Uh, whereas when you look at her and you and, you know, she has hundreds of transformations. The first thing you see when you look at her is what she's wearing and how she's dressed and her hairstyle. She's super stylized throughout the years since uh, medieval era, but there was no research done on her fashion aspect. 
You can read about her from gender, from opera studies, you know, from biblical studies, from art history. You, you, there are, it's endless. But the fashion side of her um, transformations is under-researched. And I so think what are the elements that define her fashion? So I, I would start this by saying that I think it goes back to what we said about fashion in museums that, you know, it was looked down at from for many years because it was considered um, frivolous or superficial or not important. And it's it's a part of um, this bias that surrounds me in, in general. Um, what we see when we look at her transformations is that she becomes from this very naive looking uh, woman, European woman, into this dark skinned femme fatale in the 19th century. She becomes very, very different. And we see her see that through her appearance and through her attire. And what I also saw is that after the 19th century, she's starting to lose her clothes. <laughs> So she becomes more the more more and more nude rather than dressed. So this is another thing that I'm looking at. She becomes this oriental woman from a harem that um is also very telling of of her spirit, of her century, of how in general women were looked at um during this era. Um so I'm researching these specific turning points in her transformations to see what they can tell us not just about Salome but in general about um, women's role in society um, orientalism and how they were all linked to, to, together to fashion and appearance did you fit in did you fit in uh, to different societies norms or stereotypes or did she fit in or she was always breaking the rules in the beginning since the uh, medieval era when we see her first appearance in art history until the 19th century she looks completely european she's ah. uh she looks um very um preserved um I she's wearing she was very yeah she but and she was a princess. it's it's not like the societies basically create a person and the information that you get the way they want to see her because you know it's the the way in their mind how she should look she should be part of this or break the rules the way we think you know it's 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 a it's a duet between the way she's the images she's creating and the image that the society is creating what was special about so, her um to me i think what was special about her is she um created many scandals <laughs> and oh. every time she appeared it was shocking to the audience specifically in the 19th century specifically that painting at the Met which I highly recommend going to see in the European galleries um, it was so shocking and, and scandalous that she was powerful the way Henri Renew portrayed her was in a powerful way. So she was the epitome of the femme fatale, you know, the dangerous, beautiful woman that you should be careful uh, because just by looking at you, at, at her, you might, you know, lose your head. And um, I think later on, uh, when she became um, the subject of a movie in the silent era, 
um, directed by Alan Azimova, who, who is a film director, was a film director. Today, her name is not um, familiar, but um, back then, and, and specifically because she couldn't do it under her, her, her own name because, you know, it was not um, allowed for women to direct films. So she worked under a male pseudonym. So she she chose a, a a male name, and that what was shown in in the titles of the film, um, and her version was so modern, um, so brilliant. Uh, the the costume design is amazing and uh, inspired by um, Oscar Wilde's um, the illustrations of Aubrey Beardsley in his play. It's amazingly modern and and advanced. And it created a shock as well, not well received um, by the audience. It was actually a major failure. But today we can look at it and see how, um, you know, how she, Alana Zimova, was paving the way for other female, female directors um, and to for women in general to look at subjects who are um, not considered I would say um, normal or requested or agreed on. Do you, do you when you uh, deal with a character in general or character like her, uh, what you are doing in order to be able to, you know, to open her up, to, to make her accessible, uh, does in a way you go back to yourself? It become a bit like self-reflecting, you know, like a, a, what I would have done in this situation in comparison to what she has done in order to really understand. I, I just find it interesting how we enter a character. But you're talking now as a film director, so you build a character and you bring yourself <laughs> but into I the do, character. But I do research first, you know. We have to make a research to, to yeah. agree about what we write, so to not be just yeah. ourselves. Yeah, I think I do it in every exhibition and specifically in my uh, PhD studies. I have to transport myself um, and to try and be in the mind of the person I'm researching um, and to understand the climate in which they were working, whether it's Albert Elbaz and, you know, growing up in Cholon in the 1960s I... and 70s and being completely different, um, or whether it's um, Salome and trying to understand the climate in which she was reconceived um, and what it meant for women to be either film directors or to be an actress on on stage you know at, in an era in which you know in the 19th century if you were an actress on stage it usually meant that you were also a prostitute for example so it was like you were selling yourself and you were selling products on stage so um yeah i'm i'm thinking about it all the time because i think what i love about fashion history in general is, is that it allows me to transport and you know to travel back in time and go to different eras um so you also look when you go in the you know in the lane of her biography yeah up, who she met where she was all this and a reaction to each moment so yeah. when you go through this uh, journey uh do you 
like go deep into understanding how she became what she became do you deal with that yeah um this is i think that's the major challenge of what i'm working on because i'm not just trying to look at you know the title of salome and what it meant in in culture but i'm trying to figure out what it really meant at specific uh, points in time and how it reflects on what women were um, feeling dealing with how they um, maybe saw themselves in the figure of of Salome or maybe it was only meant for men so absolutely this is a, a major challenge of my work but then is something last time we talked with her with you yeah uh, you were talking about the fashion of the pandemic Uh, you know how people actually change. They were at home, so the fashion of uh, sweatshirts and stuff like this really developed. So where we're going now after the pandemic, uh, in a world which is after the pandemic, half of what took place then became fashionable, and they created something else. But the question <laughs> I think is more if we are getting freer fashion-wise, or we become victims of. other ways of uh, the world of fashion because we're never really free and as much as we're trying even the freedom becomes like under the rules yeah we are um, I think and this is something I saw in the ball exhibition um it was the perfect timing to talk about ball gowns um after the pandemic when museums open yes Everyone wanted to be in you know the full experience of fashion and having a ball. And we see that happening historically after um crises in the world in the nineteen twenty s, thirty s, um uh, after the uh, the big crash. Uh, we see it after World War II, after World War, uh, even World War I. We see people always wanting to go back to normalcy and to wear, you know, the best attire and to celebrate life. It's, it's again, it's, um, it's a survival thing that we have and that fashion enables. And thing, I think the beauty of thing, it. It's one thing to go to the show and celebrate life. other things and it's another thing to celebrate yourself yeah really be free in order to say hmm I want to do something else uh and I we think, just I think I see what what I'm seeing is people working in um two different paths one is that I think trends are becoming more visual more tiktok um inspired yeah. and instagram inspired it has to be it's like almost like if you if it's photogenic then it would capture it would hold and what i'm also seeing is it's becoming so diverse that the other path is people actually looking at what what's working for them and choosing a more sustainable option like wearing second hand or re- reworking what they already have into something new it's like two different um paths that I think people are work are working on at right now but they are so different you know one is fast and fast fashion and you know buy today and throw it away right. tomorrow the other one is way more sensible also I think was highly influenced by coronavirus and Um, but we see that diversity is um, much more um, enabled today for those who choose it. 
But Tiara, the second hand has waves. It's mm-hmm. different all the time. And it used to be very fashionable and then it was quiet. Uh, and then it was very fashionable and it was quiet. It just presented something else. They brought something else in the second hand. Uh, it used to be second hand from Italy. I remember that there were two sisters who brought uh, great stuff to Israel. Chava uh, did it. And uh, uh-huh. uh, I don't remember her last okay. name. They had a great uh, place. And um, uh, there was a Salvation Army thing, and then there was the fashionable thing. And it was more, but it always, it was always there, just in a different different levels. And now it's more productive. I mean, it's more practical. Like you can get rid of stuff, you know, in a cheaper way or get the secondhand designers in a cheaper way, which is an outcome of the Corona. Because every time, give birth to another idea but it, it's always there it's always it was there. always there but in the recent years what changed is that there are, are new platforms digital platforms to sell your your goods it's so digital digital you know covers everything so you you yeah. go to this area you know so um and and it now Uh, also includes luxury and luxury secondhand and not just any garments. So people are familiar with specific handbags, you know, the 255 of Chanel and the Kelly bag of Hermes. And people are looking for specific iconic items. And now they can sell it directly from one customer to the other. And you don't need, um, you know, another shop in, in the middle. So I think this is what, changed a lot of things and there are platforms who enable you to do it so easily you can sell you know the cheapest things and you can sell like things that cost like thousands and and thousands of dollars so it really depends on what you're looking for i think oh sorry do you think that uh this is really weird question do you think (laughs) in the future the ai you know artificial intelligence will be able to tell me what fits me absolutely (laughs) <laughs> Absolutely. Listen, the women you used buyers, the, you called a person in the store, you said, that's who I am, that's what I need, get me stuff. It is the same way, just artificial. Yeah. It's but, pity, but, yeah, but yeah. many people need it. And no, unfortunately, I use. think, but you know what, I think in a way the American culture created it. This, uh, you have to be dependent on somebody's idea or somebody's service. And they they like taught people not to think for themselves. Right. And they, and it's so massive and it's confidence, so big. Self confidence. But because yeah, of the, also the chaotic world we are in, everything just, is so. We're just too unsure. many. Too many. We lost Vivian Westwood. Yes. This week she was oh, she was very funny. The queen, the yeah. queen is dead. Yeah. Um, she was like really parallel how much she contributed to the fashion world a lot oh i think um by the way talking about sustainability um it's really important to say that she became an activist for sustainability and thinking about um how fashion is ruining um planet earth and how we should be more careful and and work work towards um saving our planet and she was a revolutionary you know since the she day she started wild. yeah she was she wild. was wild she was the queen of punk she understood um culture and music and 
history and she was an avid fashion historian herself. She was looking at the history of fashion, trying to think about how we can use it to create more innovative designs today. And she was working with museums. She was donating her iconic garments to museums in order for them to be preserved. She was really, she's such an, she was such an inspiring woman. And, you know, she was, she was 81. Mm -hmm. I think she lived life to the fullest. And now the brand is run by her partner. Um, who is, by the way, 25 year- years younger than her. Um, they got married a few years ago, yeah. And and I don't have this experience. <laughs> Do you? <laughs> okay. <laughs> She's still waiting for us. Yeah. <laughs> she, she did so much. Um, and I think she really left something so meaningful behind. And for us to learn from, I really hope that there's going to be a major exhibition about her, uh, hopefully at the Victoria and Albert in, in London. Right. Um, she was truly so one of the greatest. So let's go back to our pride, Israel. Who are the leading fashion designers in Israel now? You're going to get me in trouble. Israelis. <laughs> Israelis. So it's very different. Israelis. Israel and Israelis. Yeah, but I think you should say Israelis. Okay. Wherever I, they are. I will do what Silly says. Okay. Yeah. So. <laughs> yeah, because why to live I think that if, if we're thinking of Israel specifically, what we see is um, the idea of reviving fashion houses like uh, Mesquite, mm-hmm. um, like what Sharon Tal is doing, building oh. on the yeah. heritage, but making it accessible for today. So we see that with Atta, uh, who That's was fantastic. revived. Atta is a brand that I grew up on. Uh, all of us grew up on and um well it actually i think my friend caused it to disappear uh, albin uh-huh i remember well but now it's really coming back yeah it's mm-hmm. amazing but in a smaller way much smaller the, much i mean Atta was major in israel it was very major yeah. it wasn't major. Yeah. Yeah. yeah 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 but i think it's it's done in um, the scale that is needed today. They have four stores. They have an amazing online experience. Yael Schenberger, the creative director there, is doing an amazing work with collaborations. Uh, we see other younger brands um, like Hollyland. Oh. Um, not, I'm not sure if you're familiar with their work, but they are amazing and playful. And they are thinking about how we are living in the Holy Land and how it can reflect on their work um, and, and their designs and to bring meaning into what we're wearing in terms of understanding locality. Mm-hmm. Um, there, <laughs> there is an amazing brand, a revived brand uh, that you should check. It's called Ofnat Bracha. it's a young designer who revived the store of her grandparents they had a store in Cholon you know Ofnat Bracha for many many years and she revived the family brand to create a really um, hipster modern funny playful clothes um, under the brand name you should check it out it's it's great So I think what we're seeing is that people are trying to understand um, 
what locality means, what it means to work here, not just be international, because this was something that for many years, you know, no one tried to look like they are from Israel. Everyone wanted to be, you know, from abroad. Milan. But now that everyone is traveling and, you know, traveling is so cheap and easy um, and fast that we have to find a way to differentiate what we're doing here from um, other places in the world. And I think that when designers are looking at their roots and their heritage and what their, you know, where their parents came from or, you know, what inspired their culture or religion, they find that it's not just a visual inspiration, it's a spiritual inspiration. Yes, right. And it really fits at least the, uh, you know, that's a great way, you know, to let her go. But, you know, it really fits our desire to reclaim things that we think we lost uh, while we are looking, you know, at new things and new fashion outside, but at least locally, you are, we are trying to reclaim, you know, things, you know, like you mentioned, Atta, like the bracha thing, you know. Yeah. But it yeah. happens everywhere because, you know, after the big companies took over and paved rules and ways, uh, people try to have their own signature. You yeah, know, the question is if they can break because, through. Because once you have the same all over the world, it becomes yeah, right. boring and you become, you washed, you're, you know, you're being washed away right. from a right. Right. recognition. Right. But still, look at the three of us. We are black. <laughs> I I try to yeah, put something. Some uh, oh, you have some color. Yeah. Right. Me too, me too. Um, <laughs> like uh, Wednesday, Adams uh, said, black is such a happy color. <laughs> You're right. I agree with you. It's it, easy. Yeah. It was easy, so. And it's a good base for colors. Yeah. So it's so great that you are holding kind of the torch of optimism, of uh, <laughs> what calls people to be happy, uh, as, as we say, in spite of. You know? In spite of what's going on, you know, I, you're talking and I keep thinking about all the Orthodox women fashion and how they yeah. create their own thing, which right. is another story. Yeah. But it's so yeah. depressing in a way to think about it. Um, Are you going to research it, yeah. you know, the ultra-Orthodox fashion of women fashion? Um, I'm very interested in modesty in general, not just in uh, Judaism, um, but in other cultures and religions as well. I'm not sure if this would be something I turn into an exhibition, for for example, because I, I'm not sure people would really look at, you know, the exhibition rather than ideas and, you know, beliefs that come with it. And I prefer for people to come to an exhibition and actually enjoy it and look at it. Yeah. yeah. Um, but um, definitely, it's it's a it's a subject of interest. Yes. 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 Yep. Booby. Wow. Thank you. It was really so interesting. It's my pleasure. To take us to sail us to take us to sailing. On thank you for inviting me. Waves. Thank you. Bye, Bubele. To that, to that. Bye, thank you so much. Bye, Tip. See Bye, you next Tilly. week. See you next week. Bye.